Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC FM, and Light 100.5 WRCH. Erin Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are joined by Joan Nichols. She is Executive Director of the Connecticut Farm Bureau Association. Good morning to you. Good morning. Nice to see you and hear from you, Aaron. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, we spoke six months or so ago, and things were looking up in many parts of Connecticut agriculture after a shutdown and a shock last spring as the COVID-19 pandemic was, was setting in. And I know right off the bat, Easter was really rough for a lot of your growers who grow Easter plants and things like that. How was Easter this year? I think this year they had a, um, a, a much, a much, much better year. I think all of us are just um, because of COVID and then just spring in general, everybody just sort of likes to, you know, loves that this time of year when the flowers are blooming and you, the weather's starting to warm up and you can get outside. Um, and I believe our growers had a, a much better Easter season this year. Um, of course, the retail establishments were open so people could go and purchase Easter plants. Um, I don't know how much family visitation was going on. Um, you know, because of COVID, people may still uh, be conservative in, in family gatherings, but um, you know, the, the retail establishments that I frequented, um, the Easter plants and spring flowers were flying off the shelves. So I think that's a, a good sign for any of our growers that are supplying the local retail establishment. Now, last year, business was very uneven. You had the shutdown and then a spike in business for a lot of your growers. Are you hoping things are more even this year? Um, I, I think we're we're optimistic in, in two areas. I think one is that the um, the the keen interest and and renewed interest in uh, procuring your local fruits and vegetables and produce from your local farms that um, so many of our farms in, enjoyed that that spike in business last year. We're really optimistic that the consumers are going to uh, you know maintain that level of support. For our local farms, so we're hoping that that level of activity um, will will continue this year. Um, I think the farms are far more prepared this year than they were last year. I think that that spike in business, while they appreciated it, we heard from all of our farm employers that they really had to scramble to meet that consumer demand, but also to how to how to you know a new way of interacting with their consumers, whether they had to 
overnight launch on, on you know, online, um, you know, orders, or they had to do arrange curbside pickups versus people coming into the stores or into the farm stands. So I think that they're far more prepared this year, and I think they're looking forward to a, to another really good retail season. And I think our consumers have had a taste, no pun intended, of what it's like to get a fresh strawberry grown in Connecticut um, versus someplace 2,000 miles away. And we're hoping that our, our consumers um, support our local farms. Certainly direct-to-consumer was one of the bright spots last year. Not so bright was the business serving to restaurants. How are our farmers that provide their their food to to restaurants doing? Has that come back? I don't think that has has come back um, yet. I mean, the the restaurants are slowly opening. I think with the nicer weather, those restaurants that were set up to serve customers outdoors. But I don't think that 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 market has um, come back to full strength. Um, our aquaculture industry, our shellfish fishermen, really, really suffered um, with the shutdown of restaurants and catering facilities last year. And they're starting to see um, an uptick in, in that market. Of course, they're shipping their, their fresh shellfish products that are grown in Connecticut, um, in Connecticut shellfish grounds in Long Island Sound. We have 60,000 acres of shellfish ground in Long Island Sound. And they're starting to ship product um, all up and down the East Coast, and they've seen an uptick in orders. So while we may not have seen a, a complete uptick in in the local marketplace and our local restaurants, they are, have been able to ship product um, to other states. And we're optimistic that as Connecticut and our region opens up a little bit more and safely, I commend our governor for being as as, as conscientious as he was in keeping us all safe. Um, as we start to get into the season, we're hoping that the, the shell fishermen see a rebound in their season as well, as will the other producers. Has the support from the state and federal governments been adequate for Connecticut agriculture? Oh, I think so. I think the, the federal government uh, did an amazing job of, of recognizing and helping out um, agriculture nationally, but both in the, you know, nationally and in the state of Connecticut. Um, I know many of the farmers took advantage of the, the different loan programs or the PPP loans or the idle loans, along with some of the other programs that uh, help them fill the void in the marketplace. So I think the federal government did an amazing job. And I think the state of Connecticut did a very good job. I think most importantly in, in trying to keep everybody safe and healthy. And that helps all, all businesses and all, all everybody and all the residents of the state of Connecticut. If we can stay safe and healthy, we'll in the long run be able to open up our businesses and our farms again and, and maybe get back to some type of, of normal. And of course, the vaccines are all coming out. Uh, myself, personally, I'll be getting my second vaccine on Friday. So that's certainly going to help everything as well. The state's done an amazing job with that. Where do farm workers stand in the vaccine rollout? Are they just part of the general population based on age? To some extent, they're part of the general population, but I literally was just on a call about 20 minutes ago on this subject matter, and the Department of Connecticut Department of Public Health and all of the um, healthcare uh, workers and facilities that serve the, the seasonal and migrant farm workers were actually just had a call to make sure that we can coordinate vaccines into this seasonal market 
of, of farm workers that come in this time of year. So um, the Department of Agriculture and the Department of Labor and all of the state agencies are working very diligently to reach out to the farming communities and get all of these, our, our farm workers vaccinated as well. So um, everybody's keenly aware of the importance of that population and how much they contribute to the farm, to our farm businesses and the state's working really hard to reach out to that population. Considering all that has transpired over the past year, how much has changed for good in agriculture? Is more direct to consumer here to stay, would you say? I think that um, even before the, the COVID um, pandemic broke out, I think many of our farmers have recognized that the added value that they can bring to their product and that that direct consumer marketing really helps increase and sustain farm profitability. So I think many of our farms were already, um, uh, you know, having that as part of their business model. They may do some wholesale, but they were also, you know, doing um, CSAs, community uh, supported agriculture, where you buy shares in a product in advance of the season. So many of the farms had already launched that. I think COVID um, really um, piqued that interest and, and grew that business model. One of the examples I like to use is um, Oak Ridge Dairy up in Ellington, owned by the Baylor family. They launched the Modern Milkman, which is a direct um, delivery of their fresh milk products. And they had launched that ahead of COVID. And then when COVID broke out, that, that their orders just skyrocketed. So there's a classic example of a, of a dairy farm that wholesales a lot of their milk, but launched into consumer retail and it really did well for them. So I think that this is a trend that we're going, we're going to see to continue. And I think the farms are taking advantage of that consumer marketplace and it's, it's treated the farms well. And we hope that the consumers are, are benefiting and enjoying all the fresh product that they're getting. Now, you go to a farmer's market, you go to the grocery store, you see the signs that say Connecticut Grown. That program mm -hmm. has been around for a long time, but it's getting a refresh. Tell us what's happening. Uh, we were so excited to see that. So actually, uh, just a few weeks ago, the Department of Agriculture uh, and we joined uh, Governor Lamont at Jeremiah's Greenhouses in Wallingford. And we all enjoyed the sort of official launch of the new Connecticut Grown initiative. There's a new logo and the Department of Agriculture has uh, partnered with a, a, a marketing consultant to really increase um, the awareness of Connecticut grown products in, in, to the consumer, in, in the media, in retail establishments. And we've been hearing from our farmers for a while that the Connecticut grown program is great, but it needed a little bit more of a boost. And of course, that takes time and, and money to really get it right. And I think the agency did an amazing job. We saw some of the videos they've been producing and, and some of the photography that they've done um, to really showcase the diversity and, and beauty of Connecticut's farms and the products. And I, the agency did a phenomenal job with that. And we're really excited to start to see more of that in, in our media. So I think uh, we're hoping that that's going to help boost consumer awareness and also help help our farms uh, get more of their product into the marketplace. Because the Connecticut Grown program was born in really a, a different time. There wasn't social media. 
I don't know if there was the internet when it was it was started. So so things are getting more high tech. Absolutely, absolutely. The videos, I, I can't wait to have people see them wherever they're going to launch them on television stations or on social media. They're incredibly, incredibly well done. And it's really nice to see a video featuring one of the farmers that you have a good relationship with and and have them showcase in, in such a, a beautiful manner. So the agency, the Department of Agriculture has done a great job with that. And we, we appreciate Governor Lamont, you know, supporting that initiative. It was nice to see him at the kickoff. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Joan Nichols, Executive Director of the Connecticut Farm Bureau Association. You talked a little about the diversity of Connecticut agriculture. We talked about strawberries and, and shellfish and plants that you're, you're going to buy at the greenhouse and, and put in your yard. Remind us what else is included in Connecticut agriculture? Oh, the breadth of Connecticut agriculture is, is, is amazing. And in fact, when we here at Connecticut Farm Bureau host farm bureaus from other parts of the country, they're amazed at, as a small state as Connecticut, the diversity we have. So we have our forest products industry. We have, we grow tobacco, um, for, for the cigar industry. In fact, Connecticut uh, tobacco is some of the best tobacco in the world, and it, it's grown in our river valley. Um, so that's a unique and amazing product to, to Connecticut. Um, of course, we have our nursery industry. We, have a, a, we still have a robust dairy industry. We have a livestock industry. And then we can't forget about our Christmas trees, maple syrup. We just came out of the maple syrup season um, a few weeks ago. And then, um, of course, our vineyards. Um, You know, we have more and more vineyards opening up. And then we've also had an interest in farm distilleries as well as breweries. So there's farms starting to grow hops and grains um, for the both the farm brewery industry and the and the um, and the distillery industry. So um, it, it's amazing. Uh, you know, we have woods, we have the shoreline, we have some of the best agricultural soils in the world in the river valley. And then we also have our, our livestock industry and our greenhouse industry. So it's, uh, and, and we have uh, poultry. We have the, the third largest egg producer in the United States in Eastern Connecticut. So we have a robust egg industry as well as, um, you know, other poultry. So uh, turkeys, chickens. So, uh, I think you name it, if, if you enjoy a, a particular product, you can buy it and find it in Connecticut. So I know it varies a lot depending on what farmers are growing, what they're producing, but generally speaking, if you have crops that are going in the ground this time of year for harvest in the summer or the fall, what's going on at a Connecticut farm in mid-April? By this time of year, our greenhouse industry is is at full swing. They actually fire up their greenhouses um, you know, in, in February to, for their starter plants. So, you know, by this time of year, any, anybody that's uh, growing in a controlled environment, like a greenhouse or a high tunnel has already have product that's getting into the marketplace, your nursery products that we spoke about, your flowers and your annuals, as well as your perennials are coming in. And then we have many farms that are starting to put in high tunnels and and grow fresh vegetables in more of a controlled indoor environment so they can get a jump on the growing season. So we have some farms that started plants in high tunnels. So pretty soon you'll start to see sort of your cold weather vegetables uh, come out, your lettuces and your greens and your microgreens 
are coming out. And then the farms are also ramping up for berry and strawberry season. We always look forward to fresh strawberries coming out, um, you know, in the early summer. And then they're also planting all of their annuals and all the vegetables that they'll be harvesting through the through the season and all the way into fall when you get into your fall squash and and pumpkins and all of that. So this is this is a busy time of year. And like I said, with so many farms looking at doing indoor agriculture, they're even starting to go into the the early winter, you know, late winter months with with product that, you know, can withstand some of the hardier temperatures. So our farmers are very innovative and they're trying to extend the growing season and they're doing a remarkable job with it. How has the technology of farming changed over the years? Well, that's a great question, a very timely question. So um, just a few weeks ago, I was up at a farm in Woodstock, Woodstock Creamery at the Young Farm, and they just installed robotic milkers. Um, so now their their cows are being uh, milked with robots. Of course, there's still the farmers there and and you still need all of that um, that human interaction to maintain a, a, a full-time dairy, but they brought in robot, robotic milkers. Uh, like I said, we have farms that are uh, looking at more indoor agriculture, both just high tunnels and, and hoop houses, as well as the more sophisticated greenhouses where they could grow all year long. They're looking at more energy efficient um, ways of heating greenhouses and, and energy efficiencies on the farm. We have uh, one farm that has uh, just launched an anaerobic digester, uh, Fort Hill Farm up in Thompson, Connecticut, uh, Tom, Thompson, Connecticut uh, the or family, and they just uh, launched their anaerobic digester. So they're taking some food waste and the manure from their farm, and they're producing electricity that's being sold out to the grids. So all kinds of innovation going on on our farms. Do you have any wish list for the legislature this year? Things that you would like to see done, not done, or undone? Sure. Uh, we, uh, we every year, Connecticut Farm Bureau sets our legislative priorities. Uh, this was a challenge and has been a challenging legislative session because everything's been done virtually and remote, so we can't have that interaction in the halls of the Capitol that we like to have to get our uh, legislative initiatives uh, through. We uh, we want to see support, continued support for anaerobic digesters. Um, we think that's important for uh, contributing to Connecticut's renewable energy portfolio, as well as it helps out our, our dairy farmers in, in generating additional revenue. And it just, it's, it's, it's just a great technology. So there's some tweaks we'd like to see to our anaerobic digester legislation to continue to allow more of those projects to, to come online. We do have an initiative. We'd like to see some tax relief for our aquaculture industry and our current use law. So we're working on, we're working on that. Um, and uh, we, you know, and then there's always the old uh, do no harm. <laughs> but it's been a good, it's been a good session. We appreciate those legislators that understand and support all the, the hard work that our farmers do. Talk a little more about anaerobic digestion. This is taking food waste and making energy, essentially? Well, the, the first digester in the state was up at the Freund Farm up in the northwestern part of the state, and they just take manure from their cows, and then they produce energy with it, and then the waste, the, the solids that come out, they put into their patented cow pots, which are planting pots that are made out of um, cow manure, 
the patented product. They do a great job with that. Um, but what the anaerobic digester does is it basically captures the the methane that normally would be um, would go up into the up into the air. It captures that methane and through a, a digesting process uh, generates either biogas, um, which can go right into the gas line, into natural gas lines, or it produces, there's a engineering process and allows that gas to be turned into electricity. Um, and some of the farms that are looking to install digesters are doing just the manure from their farms. Other digesters, um, like the, some of the smaller herds, the 300 head herd, like uh, on Fort Hill Farm, they're subsidizing uh, the, that digester with food waste. They're taking in primarily right now fats, oils, and greases, and it, 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 it provides a place for those, that food waste to go versus the alternative, which may be landfills or trucking it somewhere. And it actually, that food waste can also go into the digester with the manure from the farm and through the digestive process, uh, it creates energy. And um, it's a renewable energy and it's a great way to get rid of our food waste and the farms generate some income from the sale of that electrical back to the grid. Plus it gives them a way to, um, to find a home for their manure so that uh, it's less that has to go out on their fields. So it's just a, a phenomenal technology. It's actually been going on in other parts of the world um, and in other parts of the country. Connecticut is a little behind in, in other parts of the country and the world in this technology, but hopefully with some good legislation and some interest in this, uh, we'll see more of them come online on our dairy farms. In our last couple of minutes, I know dairy farmers often live and die by milk prices. Where are those now and, and how are dairy farmers in Connecticut doing? Um, the milk prices are not where we would like them to see. I'm not up to speed. I should be on where the latest milk prices are. Um, but they can certainly always improve. Um, I think we're holding our own. We have uh, just under 100 dairy farms left in the state, but we've seen some consolidation. Some of the existing dairy farms have purchased herds from dairy farmers that have gone out of dairy farming. But it's also important to understand that those farms that may not be milking anymore are still farming. They may be producing crops. They may be doing custom work. So Sometimes when we say that dairy farm went out, it doesn't mean that we don't, that farm is going out of business. It's just that they're not milking any cows anymore, but those herds are being absorbed by other farms. So we're still producing about the same amount of milk and we're optimistic that the dairy farms that we have left, um, you know, with, with some adjustment in the marketplace will continue to, to stay viable and anaerobic digesters and direct consumer marketing, like what uh, the modern milkman is, um, is all helping to sustain these dairy farms. If people live near farms and, and want to know where they can find what's produced there, what's the best place to go to? I would send them to the Connecticut Department of Agriculture. Their marketing department does a really nice job of showcasing where the farms are. So many of our farms now, like many businesses, are taking advantage of social media. So I don't think it's very hard to, you know, find your local farm strawberries. And I'm sure you'll you'll get a hit from a local farm that is uh, showcasing their, their product on social media. But certainly the Department of Agriculture is also a good place to go. She is Joan Nichols, Executive Director of the Connecticut Farm Bureau Association. 
Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, thank you so much, Aaron, and go frequent a local farm. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and ATT at tmobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.